the Christmas star a natural event? Welcome to Answers News through Wednesday, December 27, 2023. Every Christmas, astronomers propose natural explanations for the star of Bethlehem. Hello, I'm Avery Foley. I'm here with Dr. Gabriella Haynes and Jessica DeFord. Let's jump into this topic. Was the Christmas star a real astronomical event? So I would say yes, but not in the way that the article means real astronomical event. Uh, so Every year around Christmas, you get um, all these articles coming out that talk about what was the Christmas star? Was it a planetary conjunction? Was it a supernova? Was it a comet? Was it this? Was it that? And all these different things are proposed, which I think just shows how interested people still are in that particular part of the Christmas account, even though obviously a lot, majority of people probably don't believe it really happened. They're still interested in, in that. Um, this article certainly doesn't believe that it necessarily really happened, but they give all these different suggestions. Um, but one thing they're missing as they go through all these suggestions of what the Christmas star could be is the Bible. <laughs> They're kind of leaving out the details we get from the Word of God. Yeah, they, they mention Matthew in here a little bit. Matthew 2.2 2 is where we start to hear about the account of the Christmas star. We know that it was some kind of natural event, but also a supernatural event that led the Magi or the wise men to um, the place of Jesus' birth after he had been born. So we do see that. And so, yeah, whether or not it was a planetary alignment, a supernova, we don't know for sure what type of actual natural event it was, but it did lead the wise men to Jesus in the place of his birth. Yeah, and they talk about that the Gospel of, of Matthew, it only appears in the Gospel of Matthew. And they said, well, the simplest explanation is maybe just a fictional right. addition uh, by the authors. So here they're talking about just like, it's fictional, the just authors are just writing down about it and uh, just forget about it, it's not a big deal. But the problem is, if anything is wrong in, in any book of the Bible, you're gonna have problems with other books. And they even mention here that the book of Numbers, you know, is just talking mm -hmm. about the messianic uh, claim of Jesus. So that's the problem. If you take one account as fictional, as a metaphor, or it's uh, just something that is just not real, you're compromising the whole Bible, and that's a huge, gigantic problem. Yeah, mm -hmm. we need to start with the objective standard of the Word of God with any account that we're reading, too, and we see articles like this in a, in a secular um, format, too. And they also mentioned three wise men, but if we read Scripture, we're never given <laughs> a true. number as to how many wise men there actually mm -hmm. were. It's popularly portrayed as three because of the gifts that were given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we don't know for sure the exact number of the wise men, so that's why we need to go back to God's Word. We also have a wonderful program here that's going on for a couple more days called Christmas Truths for Families, where you can hear about the historical account of Christ's birth and the promises laid out in scripture. So if you're here over the next couple of days, you could go to that in the evenings as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, one thing you notice as you read through this, and this is really common with all of these different suggestions for what the Christmas star may have been, is they don't really bring the biblical details into account when they do that. If you read through what the scriptures actually tell us about this star, it acted really, really weirdly for a star. Like it appeared and then the wise men go to Jerusalem and then they, it reappears and they see it and they rejoice and they follow it to a house and it's moving. And like, that's not how any celestial objects work. That's not how they function. So we know it had to be something that had a supernatural element to it because it's not behaving like a natural body normally does. Um, but they rarely bring in the details about it appearing and then reappearing and moving and coming over a specific house. Those are rarely thought of when they come up with all these different explanations for what the Christmas star may um, may have been. So we always make we want to make sure we're going back to God's word and not um, just jumping on the bandwagon of, oh, this astronomer says this really happened because there was a supernova that happened 
maybe around the same time, we always want to make sure we go back to, well, what does the Word of God actually tell us? And do those details match what these people are coming up with as this, you know, sensational new um, idea that'll get a lot of clicks on the internet? <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. We see in Scripture, too, that the heavens declare the glory of God as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And here in the ministry, we have a lot of really good resources. Um, we have some technical material if you would like to go deeper in we the got, information. Yep. Right from the very beginning mm -hmm. all the way through technical. So whatever your yes. interest level in astronomy, we, so we have for lots kids, of different resources. You know, for people like me, I'm a paleontologist, so I know <laughs> nothing about stars. They're beautiful, <laughs> amazing, beautiful. But I don't know much about stars. So it's just uh, really cool for you if mm -hmm. you want to learn more about it. You know, And we have a lot of, of the videos with Dr. Danny Faulkner. Mm -hmm. um, He's our astronomer here. Yes, our astronomers here. And he, he actually talks a lot about uh, those um, topics. So mm -hmm. just check on your, our channel. Yep, there's one specifically about the Christmas star that he oh, great. gets. Yeah. Yep. He goes into a lot more detail than we can in a couple minutes we have. <laughs> All right, this next one's pretty funny. We included this one because we're getting into the new year. Got to start off with a, with a good laugh, yeah, right? Yeah. This is from the Babylon Bee. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the Babylon Bee, it's the world's greatest satire site. Um, and they read an article called The 10 Best Places to Meet a Good Christian Girl. Um, so they start out by saying that finding a good Christian girl has never been harder. That's why the Babylon Bee is here to help you out by offering you the Tr tried and tested list of the absolute best places to look. And number three on the list is the Ark Encounter. <laughs> but there's a caveat to this, though. They said <laughs> if she refers to the Ark as a ship and not a boat, marry her on the spot. So our founder and CEO, Ken Ham, all, likes to call it a ship and not a boat because it's a very large vessel. So mm -hmm. it is a ship, not really a small little boat. Yeah. So, you know, if she, if she recognizes that and calls it a ship, you're good Marry to go. Marry her on the spot. <laughs> yeah. that's what, at least that's what the Babylon Bee thinks. Yeah. Um, other great places include the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. I mean, you can't argue with that, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> they mentioned the gym. If she's wearing modest baggy clothes and is not recording herself, then she's a keeper because mm -hmm. of all of our selfie age that we're in. <laughs> or 50 years ago, consider being born several generations ago, too. So. Yeah. the least practical one. Peacefully praying outside of Planet Parenthood, hurry and get her before the the OJ arrest her. Yeah. So. There's probably some truth to that, honestly. Yep. The FBI watch list. If the FBI is worried about her, she's probably doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some, some great suggestions here. My suggestion is number three, the Ark Encounter. So, but my suggestion is we are hiring. So come and work for us and you will extend your chances mm -hmm. <laughs> of higher. meeting a good Christian girl or a good Christian guy at the Ark Encounter or the Creation Museum. Come, come work for us. We're hiring in a lot of different departments. So you can check out our jobs page. And that may just be an extra perk to your job. You never know. It might. It just might be. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Babylon B, for the shout out. That was pretty fantastic. We enjoyed that. <laughs> All right. The next one comes from uh, another satire site, the New York Times. I'm just kidding. It's not a satire site, but sometimes oh, it feels yeah. that way. <laughs> Uh, so the New York Times published an article called Pope Francis Allows Priests to Bless Same-Sex Relationships. Um, so this broke just before Christmas, and it was a pretty big deal. It made a pretty big splash. Um, so the headlines kind of misconstrue it a little bit. This does not mean that the Catholic Church has changed their position and is now allowing for um, same-sex marriages or, or unions or anything like that. But... The, the church official who did most of the talking about this did say that this is a real development that does not amend the traditional doctrine of the church about marriage. So basically what it means is that there, that um, priests and others are able to bless individuals who are in same-sex unions, but not the union itself. So the headlines are a tiny bit um, 
misleading on that. Um, but it's really interesting as you read through this, and you see some of these um, individuals in the Catholic Church are really celebrating this development. Um, you can see, obviously, it's one step closer to them rejecting the definition of marriage that we have in Scripture. And what I found really interesting was in all the statements that the cardinal who was talking about this made, he never mentions God's word. He mentions traditional doctrine about marriage, the church's teaching about marriage, never once brings it back to, well, this is what the word of God says marriage is to be. It's not based on the Bible. It's just based on traditional doctrine and the traditional teaching of the church. And that should remind us that ultimately, if your standard is not the word of God, the unchanging eternal word of God, then it leads to it's just subjective. It it can change. If the the church decides the traditional teaching isn't what they want to do anymore, and they're going to slowly inch away from that, well, if it's not based on the authority of God's unchanging word, then that's inevitably what you're going to have happen. And and that's what we're kind of seeing happening here. Yeah, it really is a capitulation to the cultural drift Mm -hmm. that we see away from God and God's design of marriage. And also, too, it mentions here that the priests have long blessed a wide variety of people and even objects like boats, offering a prayer, asking for God's help and presence. But there's only one mediator between man and God, and that's Jesus Christ himself. So it's important to remember that as well, that we see that in Christ alone, not in a fallible man like the Pope either. Yeah, and and one thing that we were talking about is when the church does that, when the Pope does that, we need to understand that for the Catholic Church, the, the church and the Pope they're representative of God, of authority of God. So it has, it's a big deal. It's just, it's, it's, in practical ways, it's just like God also blessing them, right? And uh, that's something that we have to keep in mind also. So it was, it was a really big deal for the, mm-hmm. for even uh, yeah. uh, for Catholic. It's a real development, as they say. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting too, that as you read through this article, again, there's first, there's no mention of this being of, of the biblical definition of marriage, but there's also no mention of sin. There's no mention of, well, right. these relationships are sinful. This goes against how God has designed marriage and sexuality to be. There's no mention of that in any of the quotes, at least that the, the reporters chose mm-hmm. to quote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of telling as well of not bringing it back to what the Bible actually teaches about this um, and focusing more on this. We have all this new development, this real development towards being more accepting and inclusive of LGBTQ couples by allowing uh, the priests and uh, to bless those individuals in those relationships. True love doesn't compromise on the truth. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, this next one comes from the Federalist. You won't believe the leftist nonsense public school teachers inject into your kid's brain. So this is an article talking about a bunch of different examples of some of the teaching that's going on in public schools across the nation, um, where basically teachers who are political activists are trying to teach kids to think a specific way about things by only showing them one side of the story or um, having the kids write activist letters to different groups or to different um, uh, uh, people who are sitting in Congress or whatever. Um, and it's, it's interesting as you read through this and you see all of these different teachers and what they're presenting to their students. Obviously, it, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that there's lots of teachers who are presenting um, very leftist ideas to students. I don't think that's going to be a shock to anybody. Um, but it reminded me, as you're reading through this, that the author gets towards the end and states that everyone has a right to his or her own beliefs, perfectly true. Few of us care what our, what our children's teachers' political inclinations are, only that they don't use them to manipulate our children. And I read that and I think, well, as a parent, I would really care what the political inclinations of my children's teachers are because no one is neutral. Mm-hmm. Your worldview affects how you view everything around you, and it's going to impact how you teach. Even if you're not 
manipulating in, in the ways that the teachers were throughout this article, your worldview is still going to come out. It's still going to come into play because there is no neutrality. And the Bible is very clear there is no neutrality. Either for Christ or you're against him. Either gather or scatter. They're the broad way or the narrow way. Scripture is very clear on that. So the article kind of acts like we just need teachers to be neutral and to stop. But they can't be. Their worldview is going to impact how they interpret the evidence, how they teach, what they teach, what they choose not to teach, how they represent the other side. All of that no matter what you believe, is going to be impacted by your worldview. So parents do have to be very concerned about what the teachers believe because that worldview is, is going to come out one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. This article also mentions that there is trans transgender flags and safe space signs adorning the hallways of some of these schools. And it made me think about when I was in grad school, I remember sitting in a professor's office and they had a safe space sign on, the, on their doorway, but they're sitting there as a believer in Christ. As a Christian, I was thinking, well, safe for who? I had a fear of man at that time, and so I was timid to share my faith with other people at that time. And is that a safe space for people who believe other things? Probably not. There's, they're probably going to be a hypocritical not not a civil discourse if you disagree with mm -hmm. the transgenderism or the LGBTQ or the critical race theory that's being spewed in a lot of these public school systems. Yeah, and we see that some of the examples that they're listening, uh, they're talking about here. We know that it's just like a few examples, way yeah, more. There's a lot more. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot more is happening, and we've talked about that on the show. <laughs> mm -hmm. As Avery was saying, we well we have three countries here, right? Canada, Brazil, oh, Brazil, and United <laughs> I'm States. I'm not from Brazil, <laughs> she is. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I can say, and Avery can say that a lot of things are happening in Canada. Mm -hmm. I can say a lot of things are happening also in Brazil, and it's just not in the United States. So we understand that it's not a, just a political thing. We know that yeah. it's spiritual. Mm -hmm. We know yes. that there's yep. um, a, a deeper problem behind that, which is sin. So we have to be aware of, yes, what are the teachers are teaching our kids, you know, in school, because that's very, very important. This is just a symptom of the real problem, mm -hmm. the root of the problem. It's a sinful life going against God. That's the, the root problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it can drive us to pray for people who are in school, too, who are the teachers and other students who mm -hmm. are believers in Christ that are facing maybe persecution or yeah. that are not standing with some of this stuff. And so we can pray for those individuals who are in a school setting who are facing right. these issues. Mm -hmm. Also, the beginning of the article reminded me that the article is talking about how, um, you know, we see all of these students on college campuses who believe all these very, very radical things. And the article points out that that doesn't start in college. That goes back to all the way back to kindergarten through grade 12. And, and what they're taught in those years impacts, of course, what they're going to believe in college and, and, and kind of which way they're going to go. Um, because studies show your worldview is more or less built by the time you're 13, which is a really good reminder to parents that you need to be training your children in the Lord young. Don't mm -hmm. wait until your children are in their teen years to start having worldview discussions with them. And start when they're little. Help to form and shape their worldview according to the Word of God by laying out those principles early, not waiting until they're older thinking, oh, well, they, they need to be this age in order to be able to understand this. Obviously, you're going to get deeper and deeper and deeper the older they get, but start laying those foundations when your kids are little, not waiting till they're older, because the world certainly isn't waiting till they're older. They're starting young. Um, and when we read the Word of God, it doesn't tell us to wait till our children are Older is we're supposed to be always talking about the things of the mm -hmm. Lord with our children right from the time that they're little yeah. so that we can raise them in the fear and admonition. But of that's the what Lord. the Bible says. In De I, I, I won't say, I don't know how to say that word, that word in English. Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy. <laughs> Yay, you almost. almost had it. <laughs> almost. Uh, 
And, and that's a call for us, you know, and it just reminded me, I was talking to my son, Joshua, he's four and a half, and we were talking, and he said, like, but what if God doesn't know that? And I said, well, God knows everything. And he knows, yeah, because he created everything, right? And I was like, yes, that's good <laughs> theology. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so it's just really cool for us as parents um, to share about God, the, about the gospel, and see that, you know, kind of the seed kind of coming, and then talking to you, and then asking you questions, and just like uh, mm-hmm. having a discussion about God's word, and that's amazing, because uh, when in the future, in 10 years, they're going to 10, 12 years, they're going to be remembering, you know, thinking about the thing that God taught uh, them through the process of mom and dad are teaching them. Yeah, as Avery was mentioning, there's no no neutrality, but public schools and other places should still be a place of civil discourse. It's okay yeah. to disagree with people, mm-hmm. to have those disagreements in a setting and do it civilly and cordially <laughs> and for the yeah. glory of God when yeah. you're doing mm-hmm. that. So we can have those disagreements with people. There's disagreements within cultural or Christian circles too with doctrine or theology, but we still love people as brothers and sisters in Christ if they're truly believers in Christ. And we can have those disagreements and still love those yes. people, and but point them to the truth at the same time and not compromise on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an important skill to learn. <laughs> All right, this next one. Extremely rare half-female, half-male honey creeper snapped in Colombia. So this is a really interesting little bird. Um, normally, honey creepers, this green honey creepers, this particular species of tanager, um, which lives in southern Mexico down to southeastern Brazil, um, normally males and females look very, very different from one another. They're very sexually dimorphic. Um, the, male, the females are a, like a grassy green color, um, and the males, are like aqua blue. You can see the the one on the screen is like half of each. Um, and then they even have like their bills are different colors. They're, you can easily tell which is the male and which is the female in this particular species. Um, but this particular bird was photographed uh, several times over the course of, of two years at a feeding station in Colombia. And it looks literally one half has male coloring, the other half has female coloring. And you pronounce the word correct, correctly. Oh, what this is Bilateral geandromorphy, I think is how you say that. <laughs> I would we'll never be that. able to say that. Come on. I'm always good until I'm on the camera, and then I'm like, I can't pronounce anything. I, like, might, I might be always what happens. Too, I don't know. <laughs> but that's a condition where one side of an organism exhibits male characteristics, and the other exhibits female characteristics. And of course, when you see things like this in the news, the article is just like presenting the facts. Like, here's what we saw. It's really cool. Look at this bird. Um, birders got excited. <laughs> It's pretty rare. Um, But obviously the popular culture kind of takes this in a little bit of a different direction when things Mm -hmm. like this happen in the news. And they're like, look, this proves gender's on a spectrum. Because look, you have this bird that's half male, half female. But as you read through the actual science in the article, you see that the researchers believe that this is due to an error that occurred during the development of this particular bird. Yeah. where it had double fertilization, basically. And so the result was, instead of having the normal uh, ZW female cells or ZZ male cells, different, obviously, than, than human chromosomes, it that got messed up during development. And it's an error that occurred. And you can't take an error in development, an actual biological error in development, and compare that to subjective feelings about self. 
Those have nothing to do with each other. But these are always grabbed and used as examples for how gender's on a spectrum. Look, we see this all over the, the, the animal world. Well, we live in a fallen, broken world where things do not always develop the way that they're supposed to. There's all kinds of different developmental um, abnormalities that can occur in birds as well as in every other species, mm -hmm. including humans. Um, and so we have to pay attention to that. They're pulling an actual biological error and then using things like that to try and say, well, subjective feelings about self, therefore, are totally valid. Though it's an apples and oranges comparison. It doesn't have anything to do with, with each other. Yeah, sexual dimorphism is something we do observe in birds a lot, yeah. where the males look different than the females do. And there's also something called um, reverse sexual dimorphism that some birds exhibit, like birds of prey, where the females are actually larger than the males. So normally, the males are typically larger. They usually have more coloration, because the females typically are the ones that will sit on the nest and need to be a little more camouflaged to hide from predators. But that's not always the case. We don't always see that. But regardless of the reverse sexual dimorphism, or in this case, the bilateral geo I'm going to mess it up now, geandromorphy. <laughs> um, but regardless, we still see God's design of male and female, even here in birds, too. So we see his created order in his creation here as well. Yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. All right. Have you ever seen a honey creeper in Brazil? No. No. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe you'll see one next time you go home. Okay. <laughs> That's the bird. <laughs> All right. Well, moving from birds to maybe an animal that's slightly less well-loved as birds, and that would be bats. Oh. <laughs> also flies, but maybe not quite as well-loved. I don't mind bats uh, as a yeah. wildlife biologist. I oh, like my them. goodness. Look at this picture. You just look at this picture. This is not a good-looking thing. Isn't it? That's weird. Uh, well, they're very useful, so they do have that going for them, even if their faces are a little bit weird. Uh, but this is from New Scientist. Why are there no flightless bats? I'm sure that question has kept everybody up at night. Mm -hmm. um, we're closing in on an answer. So this was a really interesting uh, collection of a couple of different studies taking place on bats. Now, if you are a biologist, apparently you get to do some really interesting things throughout your career, like build a bat treadmill. Again, <laughs> that was probably on everybody's bucket list to build a bat treadmill. <laughs> that's what the researchers did yeah. to study how bats were able to walk and how well different species were, were able to walk or even run. Apparently run. some bats can run. Mm -hmm. They built a treadmill <laughs> and then they had the bats go on the treadmill. They had them walk on the treadmill and run on the treadmill, and then they even had them plonk on a treadmill. Now, if you don't know what plonking is, because I didn't know what plonking was, it's jumping on all fours. <laughs> it's called plonking, apparently. So there you go. You learned a new vocabulary word today. And they run quick, really fast. Apparently, they yeah. can. Some of them can reach some good speeds you know, for that. <laughs> and you know what's the problem with that? They can run that fast, and I don't even walk every day. <laughs> so no exercise for me, and he's the one doing <laughs> the that, all that. There's an example of them walking and running and plonking on the screen there for you. You can see some of the pictures they took. Um, but what they found was rather surprising. So in the article, they're, they're doing a lot of really good observational science, observing these different bat species. But then, of course, they have to add the evolutionary story on that of, okay, well, you have all these, like, you have birds, and you have birds that fly. You have flightless birds. Why do we have no flightless bats? There are some bat species that do spend a decent amount of time on the ground, um, particularly one in New Zealand. The New Zealand lesser short-tailed bat spends, I think it was about 40% of its time in the leaf litter looking for fruit and nectar and things like that to eat. Um, so, but it's not flightless, so why don't we have flightless bats? And so the, the whole article is trying to answer that question. And 
kind of what do, conclusion do they come to? Yeah, they well, they're talking about they're, they're comparing a lot of times the flightless birds to these bats as well, and so they're they're mentioning all of the why don't we see flightless bats when we see flightless birds? But we know that birds and bats are different kinds, so we're not we can't expect to see similarities mm -hmm. in some of those things. And they point and, out bats and birds are very different. Yeah, from there's another, actually a researcher who says their whole body essentially from their head down is built to be a flying apparatus. Their wings are compromised or comprised not only of their forelimbs but also of their hind limbs. So there's a researcher here who's pointing out the differences and recognizes that. So they're not sure why we don't have flightless bats and we don't we don't know. Essentially we were not sure why there's no flightless bats and it appears that there hasn't been an indication that there were flightless bats. So in the fossil record. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we see that God's good design that these bats are well suited for the habitat in which mm -hmm. God has placed them in. Yeah. And, it, and, and you can see right there it's they're trying to find an evolutionary explanation yeah. for something mm -hmm. you know right. they're not taking it as like uh in the, in the biblical worldview it was designed to do that and that's why it is like that because you go to the fossil record and you check there's just like the bats you're going to find just the way that the bats are which is something interesting the bats in the fossil record they look just like the ones that we find today so there's no difference right there. And that's the problem. They're always going to try to find and to, to, to fit an evolutionary idea. And there's sometimes there's like, oh, we don't know. We cannot really explain what's going on right there. Because, of course, the explanation is not based on evolutionary idea, but the word of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was interesting reading through it and just reading them and how they say, like, bats are exquisitely adapted for flight. Like, they're a marvel. And it's that's pointing to the creator. What, mm -hmm. what you're observing as you were studying these bats is the creator's handiwork. It's clear that God has designed and created them. They're just overlooking that because their, their eyes are blinded and they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, as, as the Bible tells us, um, that those who refuse to acknowledge God do. Uh, but yeah, bats, have you ever seen a bat in flight catching insects? I mean, it's amazing how yeah. they're able to twist and turn and move so quickly. And then, of course, echolocation in itself is just mm -hmm. like an amazing thing. Um, so yeah, no flightless bats, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was funny too. At the very end, they said no bats were hurt in the making of this story, though some got very tired running on a treadmill. <laughs> Can relate to that. <laughs> All right, this last one comes from the conversation, specifically their curious kids columns. This is a column they have where they answer kids' questions. And the one question that was submitted um, that, uh, for this particular article was, "Why do people have wisdom teeth?" Um, and you may wonder that when you have to go get your teeth removed. <laughs> like, why do we have these in the first place? Uh, so basically, your wisdom teeth are a third set of molars you get when you're older and supposedly wiser, hence the name wisdom teeth. Um, but oftentimes, because of overcrowding in the jaw, they have to get pulled. Um, so this article is examining, okay, well, why do we even have them in the first place if they often cause problems? And they link it back to... What? <laughs> Austral Evolution. Yes. Ost I can't say that. How Australopithecus no, afarensis. Let me do it. You do it. You're the paleontologist. <laughs> yeah, you go Australopithecus for it, afarensis. <laughs> so a Lucy species yes. is what they're connecting yeah. it to. An so, ape. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, I mean... In this article, they actually point out the differences between the Lucy species and humans, too, which I find very interesting. So they mentioned that the jaw and teeth of the Lucy species individual were quite a bit larger and thicker than your own. They ate raw meat and plants that were difficult to chew, so therefore their smaller jaws and flatter faces. And people, humans versus in these uh, Lucy species and other um, apes and chimpanzees and stuff. So right there in the article, they're pointing out the distinctions between the two, showing that 
God has made us distinct from animals, mm -hmm. that we are not related evolutionarily right. to gorillas or chimpanzees or the Lucy species. God has made people in the image of God. In, in the image of God, I am struggling with my words right now, <laughs> distinct <laughs> from animals. So we see that in God's good design. Yeah, one thing that we see that we have to be aware is every single thing that we read, it has a worldview. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's very important for us when we read it, we can kind of separate what is a fact, what is the data, and what is interpretation. Mm -hmm. So right here, you're talking about wisdom teeth, and then they come with evolution. Mm -hmm. Why? Because that's the worldview. They're just applying yeah. what they think on what they're saying. And we all have a worldview, and that's very important for mm -hmm. us to not just read it and just take it as it is, but be aware of what's happening right here. Because when you're comparing, uh, when you're putting evolutionary ideas right there and you compare an ape with human, you're not mm -hmm. going to have the answer that you, ha you need, right? Because you're just not doing the right thing. Yeah. So it's very important for us to be aware of that. We have many, many resources on our website too and articles that show the difference between people and um, apes and chimpanzees and Lucy specifically too. And there's a lot of things with the Lucy fossil. It was fragmented. We found pieces too, not a whole fossil. The human footprints that were supposedly found with Lucy were a thousand miles away. So there's things to be discerning about when we're looking at claims that we're related to monkeys or apes or chimpanzees. And we have lots of resources on our website for you to go and look at that as well. Mm -hmm. And the article goes on to, to do a little bit more observational science talking about that. Well, okay, well now we eat softer food than we have in the past. And obviously that kind of thing impacts physiological development. It impacts development of jaws and things like that. Um, and there's some genetic changes as well that may explain why some people have problems with wisdom teeth, other people don't. All of that is a result of living in a fallen world, right? It's a result of sin being part of creation that our bodies do not function the way that they are originally designed to. Originally, we were not designed to have problems with our wisdom teeth. Um, and some people still don't. Other people do because we live in a fallen world. And that's just one of the, the results of that. And then, of course, different changes like diet and things like that are, again, going to influence um, physiological development and things like that. So I well, lost my wisdom because my wisdom teeth were removed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never got them erupted, maybe because I'm not wise enough. So. <laughs> well, we, that is all the time we have for today. Just a couple last quick things here. Um, we do have our Christmas programs going on just for a few more days. They end this Saturday. So if you'd like to come down and see the beautiful Christmas lights and enjoy all the Christmas programs, uh, make sure you plan your visit over the next couple of days so you can come and enjoy everything that we're offering here for Christmas. Those are free events, just pay for parking. Uh, and then the other event we have coming up in the spring is Answers for Women, Reclaim, Overcoming the War on Women for the Glory of God. So we have the in-person conference, um, actually two of them, because the first one sold out, so we have a second one happening April 4th through 6th. But we also have a live stream event. So if you'd like to host a mini conference at your church or just watch the live stream with your um, family or some friends, make sure you check that out. It's going to be a really wonderful time. I get to be the live stream host again this year. I'm really excited about that. Um, so make sure you go to answersforwomen.org live to get all the details about live streaming at your church or at your home. So thank you so very much for joining us. Join us again next Wednesday. We are on Wednesdays now instead of Mondays because of museum hours changing for winter. So join us next Wednesday at 2 p.m. for the next episode of Answers News.